Welcome to the Altruistic Libertarian, Advocate for a Genuinely Free Society. I'm Anthony Wheeler and today we continue our series on pervasive intervention. While Marx, Orwell, and Marcuse, thinkers we considered in the last episode, lie some distance in the past, we have a contemporary socialist in Terry Eagleton who provides an excellent, an excellent example of an intelligent and well-informed thinker who favors increasing the role of government. As a critic of capitalism, he acknowledges, as did Marx, the incredible productiveness of a free market. Quote, As the greatest accumulation of a productive forces which history has ever witnessed, it is capitalism which for the first time makes feasible the dream of a social order free of want and toil. As the first truly global mode of production, it uproots all parochial obstacles to human communication and lays down the conditions for international community. Its political ideals, freedom, justice, self-determination, equality of opportunity, outshine, in principle at least, almost all previous ideologies in the depth of their humanism and the universality of their scope. Unquote. But somehow, according to Eagleton, quote, all of this, that is, the accumulation of productive forces along with the admirable, admirable principles of freedom and equality, is, brought, is bought at the most terrible cost. This dynamic, exuberant release of potential is also one long, unspeakable human tragedy in which powers are crippled and squandered, lives crushed and blighted, and the great majority of men and women condemned to fruitless labor for the profit of a few. El unquote. Elsewhere, Eagleton writes, quote, A socialist is just someone who is unable to get over his or her astonishment that most people who have lived and died have spent lives of wretched, fruitless, unremitting toil. Arrest history at any point whatsoever, and this is what we find. The sheer struggle for material survival and reproduction in conditions of real or artificially induced scarcity has tied up such enormous resources of human energy that we sh would surely expect to find its traces inscribed in the rest of what we do." Unquote. This, this assessment is empirically incorrect. While there is much to critique about modern commercial society, the fact is that everything that, that has improved human life over the past few hundred years, reduced, reduced suffering and pain, expanded boundaries of human fulfillment, has been brought about by the accumulation of product, productive forces along with the principles of individual freedom that go with a free market, the same freedom that Eagleton laments. As to the social costs of modern industrialization, what Eagleton fails to consider is the initial conditions that the new industries improved. Take the same historical view and examine how people lived before modern industrialization, or those people who were unaffected by the new industries and lived in a traditional manner, and attempt to argue that they were better off. This would be impossible, as it is an empirical fact that people continue to improve their lives and the lives of their children as industrialization materialized. Yes, conditions in the factories in the early industrial age were remembered as being horrendous and brutal, but it was the increasing productivity of labor that changed that for the better. A quote, it is not labor legislation and labor union pressure 
that have shortened hours of work and withdrawn married women and children from the factories. It is capitalism which has made the wage earner so prosperous that he was able to buy more leisure time for himself and his dependents." Unquote. That process continues today for the same reasons and with the same results. C.P. Snow put, put, put it like this, quote, Industrialization is the only hope for the poor. It is all very well for us, sitting pretty, to think that material standards of living don't matter all that much. It is all very well for one, as a personal choice, to reject industrialization. Do a modern Walden, if you'd like. And if you go without much food, see most of your children die in infancy, despise the com comforts of literacy, accept 20 years off your own life, then I respect you for the strength of your aesthetic revulsion. But I don't respect you in the slightest if, even passively, you try to impose the same choice on others who are not free to choose. In fact, we know what their choice would be. For, with singular unanimity, in any country where they have had the chance, the poor have walked off the land into the factories as fast as the factories would take them." Unquote. Regardless of this historical experience, Eagleton comes to the following paradoxical conclusion, and I quote, Might this have to do with the fact that the realization of individual freedom in the economic sphere then ends up undermining freedom, along with justice and equality, in society as a whole? Might not the anarchy of the marketplace necessarily breed an authoritarian state? Might not the forms of instrumental reason needed to control a hostile environment also be used to shackle and suppress human beings themselves? Unquote. Expanding freedom in the commercial realm, ceteris paribus, expands freedom. While it's true that economic freedom, free market, right to work, limited regulation, low taxes, doesn't require political freedom, just think of China, it certainly doesn't hurt. Unless we bend the word freedom into something it's not, Increasing freedom increases freedom. As far as the anarchy of the marketplace breeding an authoritarian state, this has never happened in history, other than the cases where the state constricted or eliminated the marketplace altogether. Ironically, it is a socialism that Eagleton propounds that risks leading to such a state, as a socialist system requires a significant, significant expansion of organized government and the corresponding increase in power and influence necessary to plan and manage a large, sophisticated economy. The state must coerce individuals and institutions to do what they would otherwise not do. This, by definition, is a reduction of freedom. People will flee this state if they can, or resist it and be oppressed, silenced, or imprisoned. Those who do neither will live a limited, cowering existence in such a state. Socialists have struggled with this paradox. Quote, Although it is true that the critical theorists did not produce a sustained political theory, they stand in the tradition of those who maintain the unity of socialism and liberty and who argue that the aims of a rational society must be embedded in the means used to establish that society. Unquote. Critical theorists such as Herbert Marcuse, Max Horkheimer, Theodore Adorno never resolved this conundrum. Where they, where they desire a society that can only be brought about through socialist policies, the same policies that require the limitation of individual liberty, the same liberty that they value in a society that makes such liberty impossible. 
Marcuse provides an example of the paradoxical relationship between liberty, liberty and coercion for critical theorists when he writes, quote, For the first time in history, men would act freely and collectively under and against the necessity which limits their freedom and their humanity. Therefore, all repression imposed by necessity would be true, truly self-imposed necessity, unquote. The terms freely and collectively in this context are highly oxy oxymoronic, as are the notions of self-imposed and repression. They just don't mix. Yet he is correct in asserting the need to apply repressive policies to achieve socialistic aims. There is no other way to do it. As a socialist, Eagleton provides an excellent example when he describes the preferred society in the following way. Quote, the goal of socialism is to fashion a society in which we would no longer have to justify our activities at the tribunal of utility, in which the realization of our powers and capacities would become a self-delighting end in itself." Unquote. Biological reality dictates that humans must eat, sleep, and remain safe. An entire hierarchy of needs extends from this base. After this hierarchy has been satisfied, a myriad of other desires surface, including the desire to spend one time self-delighting. Eagleton writes as if all this simply happens in any given society, without effort, sweat, hard work, creativity, or tedium on someone's part. Quote, If the liberal state is fearful that socialism would limit the plurality of goods available to individuals, I think this fear can be shown to be baseless. First of all, socialism, which like widespread virtue, is only feasible if you are reasonably well-heeled as a society, would considerably augment the primary goods available to each individual for her pursuit of happiness by seeking to eliminate want. Moreover, not only would it construct the institutions of community without any necessary detriment to other, more personally selected goods, it would actually expand the area of personal choice by, for example, shortening the working day and so increasing leisure time." Unquote. Someone sewed the clothes Eagleton wears. A farmer plowed, planted, and harvested before his food ended up on his plate. Hardy people cut down trees and milled them into lumber that went to build the house he calls home. Above the basic industrial level, Scientists and engineers created the technology that informs, entertains, and contributes to his health. A complex financial infrastructure enables much of this. In a free market, all this activity, all the backbreaking labor and the intellectual contribution, and the benefits that come with it, are exchanged value for value between free people. The economy is so complex, any effort to centrally plan it will decrease productivity, limit production, reduce efficiency, increase costs, misuse labor, waste exist existing expertise, smother innovation, and kill dreams. This has been demonstrated over and over again in the real world and has been well understood theoretically for over a dozen decades. One of the best reasons for being a socialist, Eagleton writes, is that one is averse to doing too much work. Unfortunately, socialism does not lead to the kind of society Eagleton envisions. People work just as hard for far less, and if they don't, less is produced. They have no more leisure time than those in a free society, and if they do, they possess far fewer options for spending the free time they have. Another concern Eagleton registers con concerns the rate of change. Quote, 
There is far too much change around, not too little. In the midst of this perpetual agitation, one sound, middle-aged reason for being a socialist is to take a breather. Unquote. It is true that changes are rampant in today's world and would conceivably be greater in a genuinely free society. Technology, fashion, culture, art, social media, entertainment, medicine, all changing, improving, and innovating at a rapid rate. And it is true that a social society would bring such change to a minimal crawl, crushing as it does the creative and productive spirit. Even so, an environment of, of such change offers multiple options, including the possibility of living a simpler, slower life. Anyone can do a Walden in a generally free society, if they so desire, and choose to do without smartphones, modern medicine, or air travel. The Amish live right up the street from me, and they seem to do just fine in their horse-drawn carriages. The opposite, however, is not true. You can't stream Netflix, eat a Big Mac, or surf the net in North Korea. Personal options in North Korea are far more limited than, than their brethren in the South. In a free, wealthy society, individuals can pursue their own ideal at their own pace. Every human has no choice but to make moral decisions. Relying on someone else's judgment is simply a moral decision in itself. We couldn't avoid deciding if we wish to. We are, if anything, moral creatures. Every day we must decide many things. Yet Eagle, Eagleton challenges our competency for choosing. And I quote, You can, then, be mistaken about whether you are flourishing, and someone else may be more wisely perceptive about the matter than you yourself, unquote. So this is it. The justification for all social engineering, all good deeds that kill, messing in the business of others unasked, condescending to those who choose to live or must live in ways that we do not approve. And yet I would challenge the competence of anyone deciding such things beyond their own self. Is anyone that perfect in their personal life having lived a mistake-free existence, absent regrets, and so wise that they can effectively decide major life paths for thousands or millions of others, or apply judicial restrictions on people they have never met, or evaluated, or understood other than in the most cold-hearted, theoretical manner? Not just no, but hell no. In reviewing the socialist and communist examples, we find clear theoretical, economic, and historical historical evidence bankrupting these ideologies. Yet lesser forms of intervention are no less damaging to the economy, in society as a whole, and to countless individuals. The principles remain the same, even when the harm is less obvious. Government intervention ranges along a scale, from total anarchy, no government at all, at one extreme, to totalitarian communism at the other, where every facet of human existence is decided and enforced by the state. The closer a state moves towards a golden mean of genuine freedom, the better its people will be served. That concludes our show for today. Next episode, we continue our discussion of pervasive intervention. Until then, peace.